Well, good morning, South Fellowship Church. That was, I don't know, maybe it was just me, but that was just a sweet time of worship, wasn't it? Man, um, yeah, you can clap for that. That's okay. It's, we're grateful. We're grateful. Um, hey, we're continuing our series today called Ethos, and ethos is a Greek word. It's a word that means the aspirations, the dreams, the hopes, the values of a community of people. And over the last few weeks, we've been exploring who we are as a, as a church, as a community of faith. When you walked in today, you got the subtle message that the reason that we exist is to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. I believe that it's 10 feet tall on our wall. So if you missed it, you may want to go out afterwards and just look up and go, oh, there, there it is. That's why we exist. To help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. We want to be all about Jesus and inviting people to Jesus and calling people to walk in his way. And if you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 6. We're going to continue that journey that we're on this morning and trying to tease out as a community, what are the things that we hold valuable? What are the things that motivate us? What are the things that drive us? And, and how do we plan on living this Jesus' life out together. A number of years ago, I, um, when I had the time and, and the desire, I, I took golf lessons because I stink. And I had this coach who was a little bit, I think, unorthodox, I'm not sure, um, but he gave me a few tips and pointers, and then he said, all right, well, now you, you try it, you, you practice it. And, and I stood there, and I got in my golf stance, and I started to go back, and when I got to this certain point in my swing that he identified that I was going wrong, every time I did it wrong, he went, eh, beeped at me. And the first time, you know, I'm like, you know, going back, and eh, I'm like, whoa, hey, what? Back up, buddy. Like, what's the, could have warned me about the beep, right? And, but... What he was doing was he was trying to show me when I got out of position. Starting to, trying to show me when, when things started to go awry because, I don't know, if you're anything like me, you do something a certain amount of times over and over and over, and even if it's wrong, it feels right, doesn't it? You're like, I can't figure out why I'm hitting a hook every single time. And he's like, well, I know it's the eh that you're not getting right. And if you've ever tried to change something in your life or tried to change something about yourself, you know that it's just not that easy, is it? See, because here's what happens. Our brains are energy-conserving organisms. And so the less your brain can think, the better. Don't elbow your spouse and go, you're nailing that one, okay? Or somebody you came with, all right. But so here's what your brain does. It automates things. You just, there are things that you do without even thinking about it. Okay, so how many of you have gotten into your car to go to some place and you've automatically driven to work? Okay. <laughs> Case in point. That, why? Because that's what you normally do when you get into your car. So your brain just goes, well, here's what we do. When we get into the car, we drive to work. I've been halfway to work sometimes going, I need to go the exact opposite direction. Like, Paulson, wake up, pull the U-turn, and go to where you were actually going. Well, your brain works the same way when it comes to things like greed or anger 
or frustration or disappointment or lust or jealousy. Your brain, your brain automates. This is the way that I respond in this situation. I get defensive. I lash out. I do things that I don't want to do. And so I get to the end of that thing and I step back and go, I did it again. Anybody want to go, yeah, I've been there this week. Yeah, me too. I did it again. So the question becomes, how do we become people who don't do it again? Because Jesus wants to invite his followers, his disciples, his apprentices to live in in freedom. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to sort of help chart a course, a a spirit-empowered, grace-driven course to say, for us as South Fellowship Church, here's how we change. Here's how we grow. Here's how we become people that sit in this seat in 2019 on the same day, different than we sat in it today. Anybody want that? I, I want that. I want that. And the truth of the matter is, I'm not going to follow you around and beep at you whenever you do something that would be wrong, but maybe the Spirit will, and He's way more, way more powerful than I could ever be. Luke chapter 6, will you turn there with me? And Jesus is going to give us a, a framework for change. And listen to what he says. This is found in a section of scripture called the Sermon on the Plain, which is um, Luke's version of Jesus' most popular teaching. And most likely, it's a pulling together of a number of different teachings from Jesus that has grown to be, um, in Matthew, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, it's called the Sermon on the Plain. And it's the most popular teachings of Jesus condensed and found in one spot. Here's what he says, verse, starting in verse 39. After inviting people to a way of life where they love their enemies and they don't live in judgment of others, which is really easy, Jesus says this. He told them a parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? This was a, uh, an, an ancient Hebrew moniker that would say, um, that can, the, can the person that's unwise lead, lead a person to life and to wisdom? And Jesus responds by saying, No, they'll they'll both fall into a pit. They're both going to end up in the same place, and it's not a place that either of them want to be. Verse 40, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is, will you say those two words with me, fully trained will be like whom? Their teacher. Everybody who's fully trained will be like their teacher. And here's what Jesus is saying, that all of us have people who are teachers in our lives. Not, not always people that stand on a stage, but maybe they're, you know, politicians, they're, they're teachers. Maybe it's a counselor. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's um, a news station, Fox News, CNN, whatever, NPR, whatever your drug of choice is, that's informing who we're becoming. And it's shaping our lives from the inside out. They're calling us to live in a certain way. And so here's what Jesus says in verse 40. He says, like, I, I don't just want to be your Lord. I want to be your teacher. I want to I teach you, which, which begs the question, if Jesus is a professor, what class is he teaching? 
See, like a lot of times we'd answer that question, and I think it's an important question. So before I answer it, will you answer it in your head? You don't need to say it out loud. If Jesus is a professor, what class is he teaching? A lot of times we'd answer the question, Jesus is teaching the class how to get to heaven when you die. And I'm not going to say that that's not included in his curriculum. It certainly is. It's just not the title of his class. It's not the thing that he talked about most. If Jesus is a professor, he specializes in the class of life. How to live. How to live the the good life. That's his class. And he's not teaching us how to be more loved by God. That's not his intention at all. You are loved. You cannot be more loved by God. That's impossible. The goal of Jesus' teaching is to teach you how to build a life, how to build a life that will last, how to build a life that's permeated with love, how to build a life that's free from regret and free from anger and free from greed, because those things confine us, don't they? I don't know about you, while we were worshiping and and Aaron had us read through that list of the seven deadly sins, I just, I read those and I just, I saw some of my life in those slides. And my thought was, Jesus, I just, I don't want that to be any part of my life. I believe that you have so much better for me. And empowered by your spirit and by your grace, I want to walk free from those things. It's the professor. He's the professor of the the school of life. Listen to the way that he says it in Matthew chapter 11. He says it like this, starting in verse 28. Come to me, he says, all you who are wearied and burdened. Like, the way that you're living just isn't working. Like, you're existing but you're not living. So Jesus' instruction is, come on, like, come to me, come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn from me. Let, Let him be Lord and rabbi. Learn from me, he says. I want to teach you Why can you trust him? He says, for I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, and that was an an ancient sort of um, Hebrew idea of a way of life, a way of interpreting the scriptures, a way of walking with God. Jesus says, the way that that I teach and you learn from me, there's a lightness in your burdens. So come, so come, let me teach you. See, Jesus intends, did you catch this, for us to become like him. For everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher. Now, Jesus does not just intend that you would come on a Sunday morning and worship him. That's great. He designed you for that. But that's not the entire story. He designed you to become like him. So which begs the question, what was Jesus like? Man, read through the Gospels and just try to look at the way Jesus responds when he's wronged, when he's backed into a corner, 
when people maliciously act out towards him, what does Jesus do? He responds with love. What does Jesus do when he sees a woman caught in the act of adultery? Right? Bends down, writes something in the dirt, whatever he writes drives the people away who wanted to stone her and says, listen, who's here to cast a stone at you? Who's here to condemn you? No one, she says. Jesus responds, well, neither then do I. Go and sin no more. Everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher. Maybe the best picture of what this life looks like can be found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the Jesus life. From the inside out, these things start to epitomize the characteristic of our life. The question becomes, well, I see some things on that list that I don't have in my life. You? Or that maybe I don't have all the time. I've got flashes of brilliance and moments of despair. Well, if you read up just a little bit, here's what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Um, Paul, writing to the church of Galatia, says, so I say to you, walk by the Spirit. How do you, how do you get those things? Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He comes back to that same idea, the way that we get the fruit of the Spirit in our life is by walking with and by the Spirit. So, let's close in prayer. Go do that. Wouldn't that be awesome if you could just like put that on your task list, check, done? It's not that easy, is it? But here's what you need to know in order to start this journey. Our struggle with transformation is not, is not, is not, about access to power. It's not that we don't have enough of the Spirit, it's that the Spirit doesn't have enough of us. It's not that we don't have enough capability, it's that we don't have enough alignment. Our struggle with transformation is not access to power, but proper alignment with it. See, here's the picture uh, that I want to give you for this morning. Um, A few years ago, I had the chance to go out on my uncle's um, sailboat, and we were out in the Pacific Ocean. Has anybody ever been sailing? Uh, it is an, an, uh, an art form, not a science. It's an art of getting that sail up in the wind. And I can remember for a few minutes thinking, there's no wind out here, right? There's, it's a pretty calm day on the Pacific. And then all of a sudden, my uncle got the sail faced in the right direction, and it caught the wind. And we were just like off and running. It was amazing. The Christian life is not about creating the wind, it's about catching it. And the wind is blowing. The Spirit is moving. The question is, are the sails of our lives aligned with the wind of His Spirit? And that's the way transformation happens. Not by creating anything, but by posturing ourselves and our souls to receive His grace. But there's some challenges along the way, aren't there? I love the way that Dallas Willard said it. He said this, people who do not intend to be inwardly transformed, so to be obedient to Christ's uh, command, to be obedient to Christ comes naturally, will not be transformed. If you do not intend to be transformed, 
This just in, you won't be. He said, God will not pick us up and throw us into transformed kingdom living, into holiness against our will. It's not going to happen. And there's a few things, and Jesus talks about these right after this teaching. There's a few things that stand in the way of you and I being transformed by his spirit. Look at what those are with me. Verse 41. Keep tracking with Jesus, because oftentimes we sort of pull these teachings out from one another, but there's a whole context of what Jesus is doing. He's going to address what are some of the challenges to being fully trained so that we will be like our teacher. Verse 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? Now notice this follows right after as Jesus becomes your rabbi and you become trained by him, you will walk in the fullness of life with him. And he goes, but but listen, you can't walk around looking at other people and going, you've got some major issues without having some sort of self-awareness to understand that maybe you're just a little bit of a mess too. Because can we just all admit it's a lot easier to see the faults in others than it is to see the faults in ourselves? We just get that out on the table and say, I have a lot easier time seeing the ways that you fall short than seeing the ways that I fall short. Which is why we need people in our lives that will gently, humbly, and lovingly hold the mirror up to us and go, you're not exactly sticking the dismount in this area. And so here's what Jesus says first. He says, alignment with the Spirit. Because remember, it's not access, it's alignment that's the issue. Demands that we embrace a posture of self-awareness. That we embrace a posture of self-awareness. And so we're people who go to the scriptures and we don't just read the scriptures, but we ask the scriptures to read us. So it's not just I'm going to get it done on my version Bible in a year app. I'm not just going to do the task, but I'm going to actually let it read me. And we invite others who we care about, who we love, and who we trust to speak into our lives too. Because our conviction is there are places that we can grow. If we don't have the self-awareness to go there, we will never enroll in the school of life that Jesus is inviting us to enroll in. And here's how he continues. He says this. He says, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. A hypocrite was this word. Jesus used it differently than it had been used before. It used to simply mean somebody who's a play actor. Somebody who gets on a stage and performs a part, and when they get off the stage, they go and they live a completely different way than the part that they were playing. And so what Jesus wants us to realize is that we have a tendency at times, and I think hypocrisy is one of the greatest sins of religious people, because we have this lofty ideal, don't we? And sometimes instead of saying, listen, we're falling short of it, it's a lot easier to play the part, isn't it? And what Jesus says is, if you're willing to um, pacify your faults, you will never truly grow to become the type of people he's inviting us to become. So here's the second thing he says. This stands in the way. We've got to resist the pull towards pretense and hypocrisy. We've got to. Some of the strongest words Jesus spoke 
or to the Pharisees who were playing religious games instead of actually walking with Jesus. So maybe it'd be a benefit today in the quietness of our moments here before you leave, maybe you just ask Jesus a dangerous question. Is there anywhere that my words and my life don't line up? Are there any places in my life that my words, I say I'm generous, I say I care about the poor, I say I want to live in the way of love, I say, I say, I say, I say, and my life doesn't line up. See, because if, if we're content with that, Jesus says transformation will be a distant, distant thing. We'll never walk in it. And finally, he says this. Verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good that's stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil that's stored up in his heart. For out of the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So we say things in our day, in our culture, like, I just screwed up. Or we say things like, um, man, that wasn't like me. Or we say things like, oh, it was just a one-time thing. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that is like you. You know how he knows? You did it. And he says, that's how you know what's on the inside. Like, what's, what's coming out of you? And if we can sort of brush those things away and go, man, that just wasn't like me. That was a minor character flaw. That was a total outlier. That was what we will prevent ourselves from doing is actually looking deep enough inside to go, Jesus, that is like me. And I don't want it to be like me. Like in, in, the, in the last few weeks, I've, I've said some things that I wish I could take back. And, and by God's grace, I don't do that a ton. But I'd be a liar if I told you that I was, that those were just outliers. They're somewhere deep down inside my soul. Which is both a good thing, now we know where it is, and it's a hard thing too. Because we've got to ask God by his grace to work and to move He's, here's what Jesus is saying. We've got to recognize that our conduct reveals our character. We've got to recognize that our conduct reveal, reveals our character. Now, please hear me. The transformation that Jesus is after is not behavioral modification. It goes way deeper than that. Because we can't just change our behavior and hope that our heart changes. It's, it's actually, Jesus is inviting us to walk with him in the school of life in such a way that we become different trees that bear different fruit and that live different kinds of lives. Um, Dallas Willard once said, he was in this interview, and he said, um, you know, you Christians, or you evangelicals, us evangelicals, he said, 
We're so worried about who's getting into heaven that we haven't stopped to think about whether or not we're going to like it when we get there. The only thing you're carrying with you is who you're becoming. And maybe if, we, if, we've, if, we're, the, if we're the quote-unquote evil tree or the bad tree, we might get to heaven and be like, God, I'm completely uncomfortable here because you are good and, and, and I've got some transformation left. Okay, so here's the big question. How do we fight this battle on a soul level? How do we attack the problem in front of us um, in a way that actually brings about life? Listen to the way that Jesus goes on. Here's what he says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He's like, you guys, you're saying that I'm Lord. You're saying that I'm king. You're saying that I rule. You're saying that I'm responsible for your salvation, but you won't even listen to me when I tell you how to live. If Jesus is going to be our savior, he must also be our rabbi. We can't trust Jesus for forgiveness of sins and then not trust him with what to do with our anger and what to do with our greed and what to do with the things that get into our soul and sort of get their claws in us and rob us from the life that he's inviting us to live. So here's what he says. For everyone who comes to me, here's my words and puts them into what? Practice. Puts them into practice. I will show you what they're like. They're like a man who built his house and who dug down deep and who laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood came and the torrent struck and the house um, struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. How many want a well-built life? I do. I do. Because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like the one who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Was complete. Five times in this section of scripture, Jesus uses this term practice or to do Jesus' Jesus's point is being around the teaching of Jesus does you nothing if you just admire it. And you agree with it. And go, Jesus, yeah. He's going, no, 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 no. I'm only your rabbi if you follow in my way. If you do what I'm inviting you to do. And these practices that Jesus talks about, putting it into practice, these spiritual practices, they're, they're nothing to earn God's grace. That's already present. They just help us set the sail, catch the wind. The spiritual practices, here's what they do. They, they help us posture ourselves to be transformed by God's grace. They help us posture ourselves to be transformed by God's grace. Bodily practices help us align ourselves with God's spirit that is present to say, God, I want to walk with you. I want you to do a work in me that changes me and brings about some freedom in my life. I love the way that John Orberg said it. He said this, transformation begins to happen anytime people become intensely serious about learning from Jesus how to arrange their lives. 
Jesus, what, how, do, how do we do this thing called life? Spiritual practices are designed to help you keep God in the forefront of your mind. Not to earn anything from him. Are we, are we clear on that? Just raise your hand if you go, yeah, Ryan, I'm clear. This is not about legalism. This is not about you have to do this. This is about aligning ourselves to receive what's already there. The early followers of Jesus, they took this so seriously that they were referred to as the way. Like the way, the way of living. This is how we live. This is what we do. We live in an information age, don't we? Did you know, did you know that we create as much information in two days now as we did from the dawn of creation until 2003? Every two days. Every two days. That today on YouTube, people will upload 400 hours of new video every minute. You get access to as much information as you want. It's out. Not all of it's good. Not all of it's created equal, but it's there. But it's more than information. We know this, right? Because how much is this information actually changing us? So here's just three quick things, and then we're going to land the plane. When we talk about spiritual practices, and these are, um, come from um, who I believe is one of the greatest teachers about how to live in the way of Jesus. His name's Dallas Willard. I'd highly recommend anything that he's written, but these are taken from him in one way or form or another. Practices are about training, they're not about trying. Practices are about training, they're not about trying. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. You can try to be more patient, and you just go, I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna try to be more patient. Um, I'm, I haven't met anybody who that's worked for it yet, but here's what you could do. If you want to work on patience, here's what you could do. You could train instead of try. And here's what that might look like. Maybe you decide you're just going to drive the speed limit. <laughs> Saw like a visceral reaction from some people like, oh, goodness, why? Maybe instead of choosing the longest line at the grocery store, you choose, or the shortest line, you choose the longest line. And you just start to, it's training. And you look at whomever is working that cash register and you bless them instead of cursing them, right? And after a while of doing that, you might find yourself responding with patience in situations where you normally responded in jest. It's about training, not about trying. A discipline is something that we can do that empowers us to do something we cannot do by willpower alone. That's what it is. So let me ask you a question. Could you play one of Beethoven's piano sonatas? It's an interesting question, because I didn't say, could you play it? Can you play it today? Depending on who you are, yes or no? Probably not. Could you play it? Probably. Probably. How would you do that? Well, here's what you would do. You would get a vision for yourself sitting down at a grand piano and just going at it. And then you'd recognize where you are and you'd sign up for lessons. 
And then you would start to practice whatever they told you you would do and you would do and you would do over and over and over and you'd add to it and eventually you would get to the point where you would be able to sit down at the piano and play Beethoven. Maybe. (laughs) But here's what you cannot do. You cannot go and sit down at a piano without ever having done this before and try. I'm going to really try to play Beethoven. (sighs) Ryan's going to sound like my kids whenever they get around a piano. Cast the demons out, right? Trying to live without anger is sort of the same way. Trying to live with a generous heart is sort of the same way. We've got to train, not try. Here's the second thing. Practices are about effort, not about earning. Okay. This can be hard for some of us, and that's okay. Practices are about effort. They're not about earning. Effort is an action. Earning is an attitude. So we're not trying to get anything from God. Remember, the wind is blowing. We're trying to align our sails. God, you are at work. I want to catch that wind. I want to catch that wind. We live in the shadow of the Reformation. And I'm I'm a Protestant follower of Jesus for a reason. That's good. I, I, I believe in what happened at the Reformation. But in the shadow of the Reformation, we've gotten um, very tied up in it's, it's only and all about grace. And by that I, to that I say yes and amen. But it's grace not just that saves us, but grace that carries us, grace that works in us, grace that shapes us, and grace that forms us. And for centuries, followers of Jesus have been tuning their hearts to see his grace. So it's not sit back and do nothing. It's grace is here. And you get the chance to partner with God in becoming the types of people that he's inviting us to become. We're not earning anything from God. We're receiving something God wants to give. Finally, practices are experimental and experiential. Here's what my hope, one of my hopes for today, is that you would walk away from our time together excited. That you go, man, I am a greedy jerk. <laughs> but there's hope for me. Not just by trying harder, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the bank after this service, and I'm going to take out $50 in all 10s, and I'm going to look for five different ways to be generous to people around me this week. It's, it's experimental. It's experiential. It's actually, Jesus' laboratory is your life. And we don't have to think of spiritual formation as something that we do for 10 minutes in the morning, and then we get on with the rest of our day. That's boring. Like your entire life could be living in the school of Jesus, being a follower of him, where you go, all right, so my life is chaotic, my life's out of control, I'm over busy, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to practice the ancient spiritual discipline of Sabbath. I'm going to take 
a day, 24 hours, from sundown to sundown, one 24-hour period. And I'm not going to do anything productive. You know what you're going to find? It's the most productive 24 hours of your week. And so there's not like any set list. Will you hold this up for me? You got this when you walked in. There's not any set list of here's all the spiritual disciplines. But here's 12 that have been helpful to the church over the ages. Silence and solitude. Simplicity. Fasting. Sabbath, secrecy, submission, Bible reading and memorization, worship, prayer, soul friendship, personal reflection, service. These are all ways that followers of Jesus have postured their souls to hear God and to walk with him. Some of these you will do and you'll go, that didn't work for me. And will you look up at me for a second? That's okay. Legalism says you got to do them all. Grace says, which ones work? Which ones help you hear God? Which ones help you walk with God? Do those. Do those. So I just want to give you a moment. I'm going to invite Aaron and our team out. We're going to practice one of the most ancient practices of the church and communion in just a moment. But you've got a little line there. And I really, I'm going to, I'm going to push on you a little bit. Not like you have to do this in order to be loved by God. I hope I've made that abundantly clear. But because you are loved by God and because there is the wind of the Spirit in your life, which of these do you want to do this week? Take a second. This is just between you and God. Take a second. Maybe you're frazzled and overworked and you're saying, I'm going to practice Sabbath. Maybe you're caught in the grip of an addiction to pornography. If you are, can I suggest that you practice the discipline of fasting this week? Remind yourself that your body does not have control over you. And see what God does in it. See what God does. Maybe you're caught in some other addictions. And you say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going gonna, gonna to practice actually trying to hear God. I'm going to go to celebrate recovery this week. Got hurts, habits, hang-ups. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really chase after that and see what God might do and celebrate. That's a practice. What's it for you? This practice of communion, sacrament is a reminder of who Jesus is as both Lord, giving of his blood, and Rabbi, teaching us how to use our lives for the glory of his name. 
And so as you come this morning, would you come knowing that he's both Lord and teacher? And as you take that bread and the cup, would you be reminded of his invitation to you to walk in his way and to be transformed by him? Let me pray, and then I'm going to give some instructions on how to come and take communion today. Father, we, we long to hear your voice louder and to see your spirit's work in us even stronger. So Lord, would you teach us what this looks like? Would you give us the freedom to both experience and experiment to see, see how you speak to our soul? And Lord, I pray that because of the way that you work in and through these things, that we might become different kinds of people, uh, fruit of the Spirit kinds of people, please. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus.